Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Jim is back on today with my dad. So if you didn't listen to last week's episode, listen to that first and then join us here today. We're just continuing the conversation. As I listened to this afterwards, I was thinking about the necessity of getting help and how so many women don't reach out for help because they don't want people to be mad or upset. And in this episode, my dad kind of talks about how he had a bad attitude at one point and my mom thank goodness, was just like, well, just let him have a bad attitude. You need help. And then I was talking to my sister about it, and she was saying that their attitude is their choice, but if they will help you, even with a bad attitude, and you need help, it's okay. It's okay to get help. You'll hear about that in today's episode. You know, one thing that that happened after the separation, there had been a group text between his parents, uh, my wife and I, and the two of them. And it was mostly, you know, sending pictures of grandkids. Well, when she left, you know, he blew up through the text. So we said, okay, let's put it in here in the family group, thinking that, you know, in front of his parents, he wouldn't be such a jerk. But that didn't work at all. He was just as bad of a jerk there. But through all of that, you know, we got to see um, what the real, the real thing underneath was like. You know, it made us kind of wonder how we'd been. (laughs) What I tried to tell some of my friends was, how did I let the wolf in? You know, how did this happen? One one of my good friends that I talked to like a week in that first week and explained it to him, he's pretty direct. And he quoted it this way. He said, one of us loves my daughter and it ain't you, was his summary of what was going on. You Um, saying that to her husband? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I never did say it, but that's what he said. That's yeah. what you should okay. say. Cause that was obvious to him that that was what mm-hmm. was going on. Basically. Maybe that's a good time to get to this other, other issue yeah. that the, you, I you, think you being, wanted to hear about. Jim. Yeah. Thank goodness. I like right when he left, I was texting with him, but it just got so out of control. And every time he would text, my heart rate would go up. I would just go into like full trauma mode. So my dad, and I'll let him tell the story, wrote him and said, hey, you are not going to like talk to her anymore. I've instructed her to block you 
on her phone from now on, you have to go through me. And that was... Was that after the divorce or before? It was after. It was after, right after. Mm -hmm. So the divorce was final. And so my dad sent that message to him. And then after that, for years, the messages went through him. And um, can you talk about that, dad? And also, like, what your thoughts were of his messages and the way that he was? Like, you seeing it with your own eyes? Oh, yeah. He was very trifling and... Uh, he's a lawyer, so he he was using legal language and intimidating language. In, in, and it was in, in that time that I was in that pivot mode that we talked about of, you know, how do I help? You know, is there, uh, and I was still not where I should have been in terms of totally supportive of, of Ann. Uh, but it snapped in me one of the, one of those uh, emails that snapped and uh, I drafted a uh, email back to him that was, it was stronger than what you're saying because it was, uh, he, he had been using some church language in there in terms of his responsibilities to the church and whatever. And, and I, and I just debunked that. You said your religiosity. I remember that word. You were like, I'm not going to put up with this ridiculous religiosity. I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. And, and then uh, I will not allow you to continue to, to abuse Anne uh, through your communications interactions. And from, from now on, you will communicate with me directly. Um, and, and that, again, went on for a couple of years. Um, I, I think I made the right decision. And, and, but it was the most important part of that email and me doing that was support of Anne and how it it made her feel and uh, what it did for her psychic and her ability to cope and to get up in the morning and go about what she needed to do. Uh, and it wasn't ideal in terms of the communication, but it, uh, it did some amazing things. Yeah, I was really and grateful. When I saw that message that he wrote, he's like, I'm going to send this. I was like, oh, yay, because it was just so like, direct and I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't this like trying to be nice or trying to like, you know, negotiate or anything like that. It's like, she is blocking you on her phone. I have told her to do this and this is what is happening and I'm not putting up with this anymore. And it just felt really good. And um, I did, I blocked him on my phone and I blocked him on emails and that's what happened. Like he didn't really have a choice because he couldn't get a hold of me. And so he would call sometimes or text my dad, but most of the time it was through email. Oh, no. Well, the, any texting he did to me were immediate kind of things, like somebody was late or whatever, and it was just, where are you? Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no communication other than just that. And after that, he started attacking my dad and saying that my dad was a bully. Yeah, I don't remember. He but. did. And and what I did, um, we didn't, I thought about it at the time, but not very much. And that is whether it was legal under the divorce decree for this to happen, uh, for me to uh, inter insert myself into the communication link as I did. And now, many years later, I think it probably was illegal, but mm, the consequences legally were so minimal. I mean, no ju judge was going to... Yeah, I don't think it was illegal per se. It was just like, the, it did come back to bite me in a custody 
um, situation later. And that was two years ago, maybe. And during that, they were like, this isn't good. And at that point, I started using Our Family Wizard. And since it had been five years of communicating with him through my dad, I was a lot stronger then. And now I communicate strategically with him through Our Family Wizard, and it works fantastic. But I also have had enough space. The divorce was final, and I had enough strength to be able to do it now. And now I deal with him just fine. In fact, now I kind of enjoy it because I, I can see what he's doing and I know how to, to combat it. But when you're, when you're in, when you're in trauma and probably where Sarah is right now, like thinking, how do I explain this? Or, you know, how do I respond to this message is so overwhelming. And so to have the support of my dad and my parents and to get help with those messages was great. Also just having them read them and validate me and be like, this is insane. He's insane. You know, and he sounded so nice and he uses legalese and he, he never swore or like wrote in all caps or anything. So it, like on the face of it, it, it looked okay. Like it didn't seem abusive per se, but if you really read it and understood what he was saying, it was awful. And most of the time included lies and manipulation and gaslighting and stuff. And entitlement. I mean, everything was, he was entitled to this and to that and to the other. I mean, it was just, but anyway, I think there's some upsides and some downsides to what I did. I, I, I would do it over again had I had the, the opportunity even knowing what I know now. I think if there was, if there's no kids involved, I think you just try to make it so you could never, never have to communicate with them. Absolutely. Again. As yeah. much as yeah, but yeah, it's the, with kids. You're yeah. forced to communicate with an emotional and psychological abuser if you have children. What communication is she using with him right now? She's using that the wizard because I, I think I heard that on one of your things. Yeah, I used to recommend um, we that, that and now I recommend our family wizard. Has she taken our strategic thought and communication tactics workshop? Do you know? I don't okay. Think so. so in that workshop, we talk about how to message them, the types of tactics that we use. Because they're trying to gain power over you, it neutralizes that and enables you to level the playing field, these types of strategic tactics. And um, I actually developed that with the BTR team after working inside of our family wizard and being like, he's still doing it. Like this is still an impossible situation. And just feeling the hopelessness of thinking, are you kidding me? I'm divorced and I'm still going to have to deal with this abuse the rest of my life. This is not fair. You know, I was so angry about it. And after getting over the anger and like really praying about it and asking my team, like there's got to be a better way. We came up with a strategic way of communicating and it has set me free and I'm so grateful for it. So I, I rarely now, never, do I ever now call you and I'm like, hey, send this awful message. Like, does that ever happen anymore? No. And that happened all the time. But before. you do share messages oh. with your mother and I. Yeah. I mean, so what happened, but not yes. necessarily like, like, but also is the charge different with me? Like, I'm not yes. as like traumatically very, very upset, right? Okay. Now it's more informational and not to uh, help. Mm -hmm. Not like desperate and yeah. like tra traumatized and just feeling awful. Yeah. So that might help her, Jim, to um, know how to strategically message him. Yeah. I think being married to him for those years, she developed some of that mm -hmm. already. Um, but this this might uh, be a good suggestion for have her refine that a little bit more. It's good to have particular rules that you can go back and say, hey, that's mm -hmm. that. You know? Well, and that's good because um, a lot of women did develop those strategies 
I was like the world's worst victim because <laughs> I, I know, ne- like he, he even told me once, he said, you never do what you're supposed to do. Like apparently you're, the abuser does something it has a goal in mind. And then the victim is supposed to be like, oh, that made him mad. So I'm not going to do that again. Cause I don't want to make him mad. Uh, I was like, if I give into this, then he's just going to get madder. So heck no. Like, I don't care if it makes you mad. I'm going to do it anyway. And uh, he really hated it. I was really the world's worst victim. <laughs> he does have some strong resentments towards me, <laughs> which are just fine. And, uh, <laughs> and playing that role and taking some of that uh, flack, I think, was helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I received plenty of that. Uh, I mean, right soon after she left, uh, his message was something along the lines of, you're the last person in the world I'll take marriage advice from. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So can we get to like a really sensitive or maybe not sensitive topic? I'm not sure if you guys might be like, oh, I don't want to admit this or maybe not. But um, can we talk about the weight of maybe financial responsibility? that you may feel as a father with your daughter in this situation and how maybe wanting to avoid like having to help her financially or something weighed into your decisions and that type of thing. Can we talk about that? Sure. Sure. Um, I think uh, to be, to be really frank about that, I think that's what a lot of women uh, struggle with because Culturally, nobody wants to uh, take that responsibility back on. And, you know, knowing this has opened my eyes to previous divorces and different things over the years with relatives and friends to see things in a different light. And some of those poor women were left on their own. And I can see it now. And, and, and I wasn't able to really support them because I didn't understand. And, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a major concern. I'll just, let me tell you a brief story. A friend of mine that I was talking to telling about this, he talked about the, uh, in church, the, uh, the preacher basically getting up and I guess he's a divorce attorney and he's talking about how, you know, divorce equals poverty in his mind. That was his definition of it. And, uh, I was telling my friend, I said, yeah, and some things are worse than poverty. And that's, I think, the point that, um, you know, my daughter got to is like, you know, I can't take this anymore. And so come what may um, move forward. Now, fortunately for for us, she's towards the older part of our family. And the younger part of our family was straggling in the home. And once she brought three kids here, they quickly found a place to live but uh, we had room, you know, so for that, from that aspect, you know, it works out. But um, at the same time, if we weren't able to take her here and him holding on to the house and, you know, her not wanting to be there with him there, I guess her options were to go to a abuse shelter. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? If what What women's options are, but it's not pretty. And it's a very trapped kind of scenario. And, and I've even looked at, at some uh, different situations with suicide and different things that have happened that I've been aware of. And I wonder if that wasn't the cause of some of these different things. Do you want to talk about that? 
Because I remember you telling me, and I was mad about this. I don't know if I hurt my feelings or, like, I haven't really processed it. But you said something like, well, now, like, now I'm going to have to be responsible for you. And you said something like that. And I was ticked because I was, like, 37. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just need help. Like, I am fully responsible for myself. I don't know, like, what you think you're saying in that. Like, I will figure this out, but, like, I need help. And um, you saying that, like, really ticked me off. You know, it's the wrong thing for me to say. And I <laughs> repent of saying that, uh, but it was part of that transitional process of coming to accept what you were facing and and supporting you unequivocally. And, you know, I, I, I'm financially okay, and I, I, I had the resources to help. Uh, but it, it, there was a reluctance in me to to, to step in and and do it. Um, it helped a lot when I finally made that transition. My wife was there from the beginning, so she was a great help uh, to me in getting me where I needed to be. That's one thing for sure. My wife was much ahead of me in figuring things out as well. Yeah, but she needed the immediate support and the both emotionally and financially and and not the, uh, the the reluctance there you could put it in the emotional side of what did you you know and what did you do to cause this this is partly your fault you know those kinds of comments which were terribly hurtful and, and inappropriate and wrong on the other side is the financial of uh, oh no what have you done now I've got to take care of you which I'd said to you, which was terribly damaging. So again, if there are those of us who are in this situation and can uh, catch this lesson early and make that transition earlier, it would be uh, much preferred and, and very helpful to the victim. I, I'm just crushed and those women that don't have the resources, either their parents are not in a position to help them or are, are unwilling to help them, and w what do they do? And there's uh -huh. lots and lots of those of people in that situation mm -hmm. that are suffering a great deal uh, uh -huh. emotionally and financially because they don't have that support system. I do want to acknowledge that because so many of our listeners, they do not have a supportive father. I mean, even to hear you, Dad, <laughs> say like, like me, you'd be like, that really made me mad when you said that, but you were helping me, right? I mean, you were helping me and I'm like, have I have the privilege and the liberty to be like, it made me really mad to get mad at my dad when he was helping me when he said that. But women, like, they don't have anything. They're, they don't have even maybe a mother who would understand. And so acknowledging that and um, letting them know that our hearts go out to anybody in that situation and it's really hard. It's, it's an uphill battle to free or deliver yourself from abuse. It's very, very hard. I, yeah, I, I don't know that there was anything that we weren't providing for. I mean, you, you were being taken care of. It was the attitude. Yes, I agree. And it, there's a terrible uh, situation that uh, is on my conscience. Is it Costco? Yeah. I'm thinking about that too. I was going to bring it up. Okay. So I'll, I'll lay the foundation here. My family loves Costco and I, it was my dad's birthday and it was also near Valentine's day. And I was living off of food orders. Like I had no money to buy any, anything extra. 
And so we went to Costco and I just started piling stuff in the cart because I was like, this is my chance to like get some stuff. And sorry, I'm crying because it was Valentine's Day and um, there was like nobody around to get me a Valentine's present. So I was like, I'm getting this plant and I'm getting these pajamas. And I was nervous about it, but I was just like, I'm doing this anyway. And my dad was kind of mad, but he did it. He bought it for me. He was, you weren't like yelling at me or anything, but there was just this hesitancy, like, like what? She just expects me to pay for all this stuff in this cart. And I was like, heck yes, I do. <laughs> anyway, do you want to talk about that? Well, I mean, yeah, there was that reluctance and, uh, and entitlement on my part that I was like, I can pile yeah. all this stuff in the cart and I'm going to make my dad pay for it. So there's entitlement on my part. But, but there was a history there as well. Of, oh, is this where you're going to go blame me for my part in it? No. <laughs> Before you were married. <laughs> if you could get me at Costco, then... Then you would buy stuff. Then I'd buy the whole cart and... Yeah. And... And never complain about it. Never this complain was, about it. This was before I was married. It was sort of like, <laughs> it was sort of like, okay, she's single, so whatever she puts in the cart, I'll buy it for her. Then I get married, and now apparently that doesn't happen anymore because I do my own grocery shopping or whatever. And then after, yeah, that's true. So was, I wouldn't. Was so I wasn't. In, I wasn't entitled. I was just expecting what I'd always gotten. I'm kidding. <laughs> But like, but you were grumpy about it, and that was, and you were like, and on my birthday, you made me pay for a plant. It was just a little thing that was important. Well, it was like a little. I mean, it was very important, but it was symbolic. To me, it felt like, like I could just relax for a minute and buy a plant and buy some pajamas when I hadn't been able to get anything extra for what. A long time. A long time. So that, that like financial burden that a dad might feel that would either lead him to maybe help, but perhaps have a bad attitude about it or not help at all or help with a great attitude either way. Um, one of the things that I want dads to know is that the solution isn't like, okay, well then we got to get her married to someone else. So someone else can take care of her. Like women today can take care of themselves. And, um, they just need the opportunity. Like, does she want to go to law school? You know, like, just like you put the, the time and effort into your son's careers, like think about, like, think about her in that way. What career would be good for her? How can she support herself and her family and putting the time and effort and support into making sure that she can be financially independent and support her family. I chose BTR as my way of supporting my family and my kids and, and myself. And my dad was financially helpful. I did BTR like with no money at all for what, three or four years. I didn't get paid anything. My, my dad supported me through that. And I was really grateful. And my church did too. And so BTR is it, it here in, in part because of that. And my mom was really helpful because she was like, there's no way that she can do BTR. Cause you know, I was working eight hours, you know, 10 hour days, 14 hour days, sometimes building the website, doing all the stuff that I did. And there was no way I could have done it had I had to work another job. Also, my kids were really young, so they could watch Octonauts while I built BTR at home. <laughs> my general theme through this, uh, Jim, is that, again, transition point where you, you become unconditionally supported financially and emotionally for your the abused uh, victim, whether it's a 
daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I was slow getting there and I, and I regret it. One thing I want to talk about is that transition period for just a minute is that this person has always been inappropriate to be married to, right? They've been abusive since the very beginning. And so she has been in an abusive relationship since before she even married him, since the moment she met him. And so she's also been trying to make it work. She's also been trying to like manage it and make her family work. And so she also is going through that transition period. So for you listeners out there thinking about the transition that you had into recognizing that it was abuse, to understanding what was going on, to realizing you need to separate yourself from the harm. And then all of us feel anger or I think righteous anger toward like, why don't people get this or understand, just realize that you had to go through that period to realize what they were like. And so do your loved ones. And some of them might come around later. Some of your loved ones might not be safe enough to interact with. Like you might have to distance yourself from them until they understand because interacting with them will harm you more and make it harder for you to get to safety. So some of them may never come around at all. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really hard when you not only have to divorce your abusive spouse, but you also recognize through that process that some of your loved ones or some of your own family are in that category. And you also have to not divorce them per se, but separate yourself from them as well. Jim, did you have any other questions or? I mean, I probably have a million, you know, because we're still wrangling through the legal things and and whatnot to try to get something set. But, you know, at this point, he seems set on this 50-50. It seems more symbolic than anything else because I can't imagine that he can keep working and keep keep the kids, you know, they're still young half the mm-hmm. time, you know. My guess is the reason why he wants 50-50, he's, there's two reasons. Number one is to hurt her. And the second one is so he doesn't have to pay child support. So those are the only two reasons. Well, there's a third reason. Oh, what's the third reason? It's the law. I mean, the law is, is very specific in leading to a 50-50 if you can't, have, if you can't negotiate something else. Right. That's where it goes. And so mm-hmm. there's an entitlement factor that you experience with your ex. Right, that I'm entitled to 50%. Right. Maybe he didn't want them that much, but he wasn't going to back down in the face of I'm entitled to 50%, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm going to get it. Yeah. My fatherly yep. rights. Uh, oh, you've heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> so this, my, my son-in-law, not an attorney, but he's like a wordsmith by nature. And so he loves to pretend. A lot of times he pulls some pretty funny ones, but yeah, he tries to use words to manipulate, tries to use bigger words than he knows what means. A lot mm-hmm. of times. That sounds familiar. That's one of the motivations I had for uh, intervening and taking over the communication was that kind of wordsmithing. My view is that the because that basically the divorce process is like a cage and the abusers love it. They like to be in the divorce process because then she's still kind of stuck to him, right? She's in this cage with him and she wants to get out. She can see what's happening, but she can't get out because she's stuck in this cage through the divorce process. Once that is signed, then he isn't, he doesn't have as much control or power over the situation. And so he doesn't want it to be finalized. Like he wants to drag it out. And when, I, I don't know about your particular um, abusive son-in-law, but in general, 
this is like fun for them. And so things do um, settle down after that is signed because then they, they lose quite a bit of control, but they don't want to let it go. And the divorce process is part of that. So trying to settle out of court uh, through a settlement, I, I am a fan of, of not taking any, like literally ask them for nothing. Like don't ask them for child support. Don't ask them for anything and just get out and figure out how to support your own family by yourself. Because my feeling is any, anything that they have that they can hold over your head, they're going to the rest of your life. Being able to just fully let go and not, not look to them or not think that they owe you. And they do. They owe you a lot, right? So this isn't like, do they owe you something? They absolutely do. But just for your own freedom, being able to say, I don't want anything from this person. I am going to be able to support myself has been the view that I have taken. And I think that it has helped me. I'm not saying everyone would be capable of doing that or women shouldn't like not get child support or anything, but it's something to think about only because they are always going to use anything that, that you feel like they owe you as a way to entrap you, um, to be able to control you. This type of abuser is really, um, classic at that. So that's something to consider. Not everybody will have that luxury. Yeah, good, not not everybody has that luxury. It's true. I'm, but but it is a good a good long term kind of uh, direction. I mean, they'll, they'll always have the kids to manipulate you with, even as the kids get older. I've, for one example, when this happened, I called my mom to tell her, and all I had to do was bring up the name of her best friend that she grew up with ex-husband name. And I said, I think we have one of these in our family. She's like, oh my goodness, who, who? And then I told her and she's like, just started to click in her mind. I can see that. And it just all came, came to that she could see it. And those kind of people like this, this guy in particular, that was her friend's ex, he passed away recently, but his whole life, you know, he, he manipulated with the adult kids pretty much to Mm -hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're going to do that. Have you been surprised or pleased at how clergy or other people have reacted to your daughter's situation? A little surprised, yeah. Uh, in what way? Like, have they been... Like, they're... I mean, kind of the comment was something along the lines of, well, maybe you can learn to be a little stronger and they can learn to be... Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, kind of no yeah. help at all. Also, at least in our faith, and Jim shares our faith clergy is supposed to be like a righteous judge, right? And like judge the situation and hold people accountable in some cases. And there seems to be a complete lack of accountability and belief. Every time I bring it up, they'll be like, well, I don't know if I'd use the word abuse. I mean, yeah, he's acting like a jerk, but, and I'm like, well, the church, um, and this doesn't help them like me anymore. Then I get liked less when I do this. But I said, well, I took the church training and it said I was supposed to report abuse and that you would not tolerate it. And so I am reporting it. What are you going to do to not tolerate it? And they just kind of like stare at me and blink. And they're like, uh, well, we don't tolerate it. And I'm like, okay, well, then what are you going to do to not tolerate it? And they're like, uh. and um, then I end up being disliked even more by the clergy. So that's fun. <laughs> My my experience has been, unless somebody, and maybe this is, you know, between a rock and a hard place, but unless somebody's willing to admit their wrongs, 
They don't seem to really ever Okay, so if they don't admit it, then it's like, well, he says he wasn't abusive and his story is different and we don't really know who to believe, right? So that's that situation. If he does admit it, generally speaking, the, what we, the reports that we get from the victims is that they're like, oh, well, he does admit he was abusive and he's willing to repent. And so he's repentant. So I don't know why you're not <laughs> forgiving him. So it's like lose-lose. Okay, so he admitted he's abusive, so you're not even going to release him from his calling? You're not even going to, like, nothing? But then they won't do it even if there's multiple witnesses either. So there's, like, no accountability. That Well, uh, that's probably not true. There might be some bishop out there who who does hold abuse accountable. But from our, from my experience at BTR, the overarching theme is there's no accountability for abusers in the church especially um, Mm -hmm. psychological abuse. Here's one thing I'll say is that this whole stepping on eggshells kind of thing is what my daughter was living with. And then, you know, we were living with it too, because we wouldn't really be reluctant to bring up anything. I think my wife one time mentioned something about uh, that uh, the son-in-law should get a better relationship with the three-year-old or something just in passing to my wife. Well, he was in the next room, overheard it, and he took it out on her later. You know what I mean? Just because my wife had said that, you know? And so I think a lot of times the church does the same thing. Oh, we don't want to offend any of these people. They might leave Mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. It's what it feels like. There's that. And then there's this view that like, wait, like she must not understand because he's such a good guy because he shows up at church and he gives really good lessons and when he talks in our congregation, it's like such a good talk and he shows up for service projects. So he's a good guy. I don't know why his wife doesn't understand what a good guy is. Right. There's also that. Yeah. Our, our society is very based on good speaking. And if you good speaking, seems like you can get away with lots of And it's of also things. just flat out misogyny that they believe the man and his persona and his image over what just a woman's account, right. Of something. So Right. And, and I've, and, and I don't know how you feel about this, Bob, but this whole scenario has made me examine myself as a husband. And sad to say, I've made some improvements because that misogyny or whatever you want to call it, is, it goes through our, our whole, our whole culture. I totally agree with you. I'm with you there all the way. And I've had to do some real introspection. So there's some good that comes out of it, I guess. And and for your daughter's sake, I will say, like, after the divorce is final, she has wings to figure out who she is and what kind of life that she wants. And it's working toward providing that for her and her children. She will gain that strength. And this will be, like, a time of her life that was awful, right, and just hellish. But the person that she will become will be incredible. And you're going to be amazed and so proud of her and so just supporting her as she makes her way is exactly what she needs thank you i appreciate that here's one thing i wrote down my brother younger brother was talking to him about uh, in effect uh, you know taking my daughter back and he said well i never gave mine away i just was willing to share her and so I think that's a healthy father yes, perspective. Maybe, but also she's not yours is more the healthier yeah. thing. That, and that, that, that for sure, because now that you mentioned that, that was one of the things that uh, my son-in-law said um, 
in the text, like the first or second day is my children, my most precious possessions. So I'm like, (laughs) you like, that's another sort of misogynistic way to think about it. Like, this is my daughter and I own her or like, and it's great that you want to protect her. She will be and can be completely responsible for herself. She does need support and she does need help, but that doesn't make her somehow incapable. I mean, the only reason that she needs financial or or other support at this point is because of the three young children. Exactly. She's perfectly capable to take care of herself uh, in all ways. Exactly. Better than me, because when I have the three children all about myself, you know, it doesn't take too long before I've about had it. So, you know. Right. Well, and knowing that the reason why she needs help is because her children need help. Like, it's not because she's feeling entitled or because she's incapable or because, you know, any of that. It's because she's a mom of young children who need her and they need their mom, especially if they've got a 50-50 situation with an abuser. Yeah. When they, when they come back, they want to be with her and they don't want us to get in the way. And yes, they, they want her. Thank you so much, Jim, for reaching out. And I want to thank you, dad, for helping me so much. Even when you had a bad attitude about it, you actually did the thing. When the rubber hit the road, you supported me and you helped me. So thank you, dad. And thanks for coming on today's episode to share your thoughts. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 